I invite you to take your Bible and find the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We, uh, we're taking a really, really, really broad look at Luke chapters 1 and 2. Other parts of the Gospel, as we go through, will really take just a very little part and really um, study that at, at great length. Chapters 1 and 2, we're looking really, really broadly, okay? And what, what we're doing, our particular method, is just to see how the foundations for this kingdom of God are laid in chapters 1 and 2. And <clears throat> in particular, looking at the role of each member of the Trinity. What's the Father up to in chapters 1 and 2? What do we see from Him? What do we see from the Son? What do we see from the Holy Spirit? What's the unique contribution of each person of the Trinity to this kingdom of God? <clears throat> we can notice those things if we look for them in chapters 1 and 2. And usually, like you, I just come to chapters 1 and 2, you know, typically at Christmas time on the lookout for the Christmas story. So we're just stepping back and looking at it in a different way this year. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We started uh, two weeks ago with the Holy Spirit, noticing how in this kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit is the source of power. You're going to see that played out in the rest of Luke's gospel, and as we get into Acts, or as you would go into Acts, see how the power of the Holy Spirit is such a dominant theme. Today, we're in the same text, chapters 1 and 2, but we're noticing the unique contribution of God the Father. And here is what we find. God the Father is the planner of this kingdom. God the Father is the planner. It's his purposes that are being carried out. It's his will that's being done. God the Father is the planner. Well, what is that will? What, what are his purposes for this kingdom? What does the Father want to accomplish in the kingdom of God? That's the question that we're tracking down an answer to today. What are the purposes of the Father for this kingdom of God? Now, if you just take a broad overview in your copy of the text, you'll see that there are four songs in chapters 1 and 2. And probably, if your copy of the Scriptures is like mine, those songs are set off. They, the text looks different, okay? We're just going to look at each one of those songs in turn. We're going to look at each of the four and notice that each one of the songs highlights a different aspect of God's plan for this kingdom. All right? So the outline is very simple. Mary's song, Zechariah's song, Simeon's song, and the song of the angels. And what's the unique thing that each of them shows us about God's plan for this kingdom? All right, we're going to work our way through those. I'm actually going to read verses 26 to 33 of chapter 1. So the reading today that we, that we stand for and give our attention to at the beginning is not going to be a passage we study in particular, but it does show us clearly that this, in this kingdom, the Father is the planner. It's his 
plan. So watch for those, watch for that idea to be highlighted as we read, all right? So verses 26 through 33, let's stand for the reading if you're able to stand this morning in honor of God and his word. Then I'd like to offer um, a prayer for our time and then we'll, we'll take a look at each of these songs, okay? This is what we find, Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Lord God, um, everything we're doing here this morning is for you, and once again we just come to you with this request uh, that this would be a formative time for our souls. Our souls so badly need to be formed, shaped, molded by the word, by the living Word of the Spirit. It's way beyond anything that I could ever do. This is a, a Holy Spirit project. And so we look at the Holy Spirit inspired text with great hope that this can be accomplished. Not because we want to be great people and models of a good life, no, but because we love Jesus and want to show everyone how great He is. So that's our request, and we ask in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. All right, please be seated. God the Father is clearly the planner of this kingdom. How do we know that he's the planner of this kingdom? Well, did you notice? He's the one sending the angels. Gabriel shows up twice in in chapter one here. One time he says, I was sent to speak to you. And the other time we read the angel Gabriel was sent from God. We know it's God's plan because he's the one sending the angels. We know God is the planner because he's the one giving the throne. That's what we read when we get to verse 32. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. The father is the one sending the angels and he's the one who's giving the throne. It's by his initiative that all these things are happening. He initiates it at the time that he wants to initiate it. And it is his will that this kingdom will have no end. There's not going to be another kingdom. This is the one. God's putting everything that he wants into motion. And I think it's worth taking just a minute to remind ourselves that when we see just the word of God with a capital G, as we do several times here in chapter 1, that that is a reference to God the Father in particular. 
we know God is three persons, one God in three persons. When we just see that one word God, we understand a particular reference to the Father. God the Father is initiating this kingdom. Now let's talk about his specific plans and desires for this kingdom. What does he want to accomplish? The first thing that we see is that he is accomplishing a great reversal. That's what we learn by looking through Mary's song, which is in verses 46 through 55, that God is accomplishing a great reversal in this kingdom. I'm only going to read verses 51 through 53, so take a look at, at those three verses there in the text and get, get the feel for what Mary is saying here about this kingdom and how it represents a great reversal. Verse 51, he, that's the Lord, has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. The kingdom of God will be a kingdom where the proud and mighty will be humbled. You see those terms, they'll be brought down, scattered, sent away. On the other hand, the humble and the poor will be exalted. They'll be filled with good things, raised up. So the proud and the mighty are brought low. The humble and the poor will be raised up. That's a reversal, isn't it? That's a great reversal. And it's very unlike the kingdoms of this this world where the powerful and the mighty rule and the poor and the lowly suffer. This world values competition and dominance and climbing up higher by stepping on others. That's true in politics. It's true in the corporate world. It's true in academia. And unfortunately, if we're honest, we have to say it's been true in the church. not too distant history of the church in various denominations. That's just the rules by which the world runs. The strong and the powerful make it to the top, and the poor and the marginalized remain at the bottom. And if that system, that whole way of operating in this world, if that nauseates you, if you're looking for an alternative, then I hope it comes to comes as really good news to you that God has set up a different kingdom with an opposite set of values. In his kingdom, the lower you get, the higher you are. You just think about it. Think about all those times Jesus says this same idea in different words. You, you know what's coming in the Gospels, how he's going to represent this idea over and over again. Remember, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And whoever would be great among you must be servant of all. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth over and over 
and over again. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. Mary praises God for that. She praises God for the nature of this kingdom. And by the way, don't miss the fact that Mary herself, her very self, embodies this this idea. She is a, a, a living model of this very idea of the humble being exalted. That's the very first thing that she talks about in her song. My, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. That's an amazing reversal. She pictures that very idea that she's praising God for. She exemplifies it. And what we want to understand is that we can too. We also can picture that very same idea. We can spread a love for this value, this great reversal, wherever we are. Whatever sphere you have a measure of power in, just ask yourself that question. Where do I have a measure of power? Are you the captain of a team? That's a measure of power. And you picture the kingdom of God when you go and befriend and spend time with and give attention to the person on the team that has the least amount of talent. That pictures what the kingdom of God is like. Are you a parent? You have a measure of power in the home. What are you going to use that power for? Do you have that for the purpose of everybody serving you and doing whatever you want to do? You picture the kingdom of God when you're found doing something that no one in the house wants to do. Are you a supervisor or a vice president at work? How are you going to use that power? Is everyone going to serve you? Does that picture the kingdom of God? What would it look like for you to picture the kingdom of God to the people underneath you? What can you do to take that value, that great reversal value with you, Wherever you work, wherever you have a measure of power, we should all have a sign somewhere where we can see it every day that says, how can I get lower today? How can I get lower today? And how can I do it with a cheerful attitude? You know, because this could be a a real Pharisee type thing for us to get into, right? just thinking we're doing all these great things. No, we don't want it to be that way. We want to just have this idea burning within us that wherever we go, we are bringing the kingdom of God with us. It's my opportunity. Like, it's my thing. That's what I do wherever I go. Aspirational for me, okay? And aspirational for you, that wherever we go, we would picture the kingdom of God. And this is a very simple way to do it, to picture this great reversal We can do it. Mary exemplified it. We want to remember that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of it because the greatest victory was won at the cross. The greatest victory was won in the most humiliating way possible.
He got as low as a person can be and won the greatest victory. It's so good to be low. I hope you relish it. I hope you make it your thing. Christianity is countercultural. This is one of the ways that it's countercultural. We reject the rush to the top and we rush to the bottom. We picture the great reversal that God is accomplishing in his kingdom. All right, that's what we get from the first song. Let's move to the second one. Zechariah adds another element to our understanding of what this kingdom is like and what God is accomplishing here. Mary's song addresses the great reversal in this kingdom. Zechariah's song focuses on the great deliverance that God is accomplishing. I'm going to read his song. It starts in verse 68. When Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, opens his mouth, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Now, be on the lookout for um, ways in which God will deliver. Okay? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, now he's addressing his son, John, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zachariah's song. There's a lot there we could spend a lot of time talking about. We're just taking a summary look at it today. And what we want to notice about Zachariah's song is that it really addresses two kinds of deliverance, doesn't it? Did you notice that as we read through that really two different kinds of deliverance are being addressed? In the first part, he's really praising God for how he will deliver the nation of Israel from her enemies. He's really talking about a political deliverance in the first part of the song. A a physical, political deliverance. He's going to bring a political peace. In the second part of the song, he's really talking about a spiritual deliverance, isn't he? We, we know that because when we get to verse 77, he begins to talk about knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. That's a spiritual deliverance for God's people. So he's really talking about both kinds of salvation. A political, physical salvation from physical enemies, on the one hand. And on the other hand, a spiritual salvation from a spiritual enemy. In other words, here's what we could say in summary. He's talking about a complete deliverance. God's deliverance for his people is going to be complete. 
physical and spiritual. And we know from reading the Old Testament that that's a really, really necessary thing, isn't it? The nation of Israel was never worse off than when they were prospering physically. It really didn't do Israel any good to have a physical deliverance only without a spiritual deliverance. And every time they got a physical deliverance, they went right back into their idolatry. What they need is a complete deliverance. Outside and on the inside. Therefore, this coming king will not only be a king, he will be a savior. He will bring his people peace. That's what Zechariah lands on to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here's what we want to understand. Jesus brings a profound peace to his people. When the kingdom of God is present in all of its fullness, when, when Christ returns, when he comes again in his very body to reign on this very earth and the kingdom of God exists in all of its fullness right here on earth. A profound peace will settle over this earth. When the last enemies, sin and death, have been defeated, a profound peace will settle on us. You know that there's no peace like the peace that comes right after a storm. All of the, the noise and the, the blowing and the destruction and all of those things are over and the sun comes out and it's just still. That is what it will be like when our battle with sin is over. I know that the battle with sin is raging inside of you right now. And it's never ceasing. It's hard. It's bloody. It's because you belong to Christ that that battle with sin is being waged on the inside of you right now. If you didn't belong to Christ, there would be no battle. It's hard. I know it's hard. But this is what I'm saying. When that battle is over on that day, there will be a profound peace that settles upon your soul. It will bring tears to our eyes because it will be so sweet. That day is coming. I, I think a beautiful picture of that profound peace settling upon a person is in this amazing man that we meet when we get to Luke chapter 8, who we usually call the demoniac. You know that man who lives among the tombs? He doesn't live in a house. He lives among the tombs. He doesn't wear any clothes. They put chains on him, but they can't keep chains on him because he breaks them. And he's possessed by all these demons. And then Jesus comes and has the courage to go to him. And he delivers him from those demons. 
And do you remember the description of the man following right after that, what the people from the, from the village see when they come and see that man? They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. What a beautiful picture of what it looks like when the, the profound peace of Jesus comes to a person. I'm just telling you that's the plan. That's the long-term plan for you and for me in Christ. The Father's plan for this kingdom is a great deliverance that brings profound peace. Now, that's a long ways away. Maybe. Maybe it's a short ways away. Maybe it's only minutes away. We don't know. What do we do with it today? We're all battling sin. Sin wants to master us. I'm just... I'm just suggesting to you that you allow yourself to be delivered. Picture the kingdom in your life today by allowing yourself to be delivered from sin. Picturing that coming day. You're fighting really hard against sin. Have you ever thought about allowing yourself to be delivered from sin? Do we even pray the prayer anymore? Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil? Do we ever even ask anymore to be delivered? Just ask him. Zechariah praises that aspect of the kingdom of God, that God's accomplishing a great deliverance. We meet this man, Simeon, once we get to chapter 2, he's got his own song. It's a lot shorter than Zechariah's. <clears throat> Simeon meets the family at the temple. They've come according to custom. Joseph and Mary have brought Jesus. Simeon meets him there. He praises a different aspect of God's plan. Not the great reversal, not the great deliverance. Simeon praises the great inclusion that God is accomplishing. Meaning that God the Father, through Jesus, is bringing in the Gentiles alongside the Jewish people. And that this kingdom will be for all peoples, all nations. Luke 2.29, Now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the place of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Folks, this is incredible. Do you see what we have here? We have an Israelite praising God for the inclusion of the Gentiles. When does that ever happen? He's praising God that the Gentiles also are being included in this salvation. Simeon is a kind of anti-Jonah, isn't he? Jonah is so angry that God wants to reach the Gentiles. And Simeon's the exact opposite. He's so happy, so thankful. He's praising God. That a light for the Gentiles has been provided. He's ecstatic about it. Now look, this has always been God's plan. This is not a a New Testament innovation where all of a sudden God decided, hey, let's also have the Gentiles be part of this. No, 
all the way back to Genesis 3, and all the way back to Genesis 12, we, we see that it has always been God's plan to bless all nations, all families of the earth through the coming Messiah. It's just that it was supposed to happen through the nation of Israel. They were supposed to reflect God's character and be a light to the nations and affect other nations and change other nations. But instead of them changing other nations and being impa- and impacting other nations, it was the opposite. They themselves were changed by the nations around them. And they were impacted by the nations and started worshiping their gods. They failed in that mission. Therefore, Jesus. Therefore, the true Israel. Therefore, the true light of the world was sent to accomplish that purpose. And the nations will come in. It starts with the magi that come from way, way far away to visit the little boy, Jesus. And then the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts 8. On the Gaza road, Philip finds him. The nations are coming in. And then Cornelius, the Roman, encounters Peter in Acts 10. And the nations, the Gentiles are coming. All peoples, all peoples, all peoples. And the command, the Great Commission, make disciples of all nations. This kingdom includes all peoples. Now, really easy to agree with in principle. No one's getting upset with that idea at this point. But what we see happen, of course, through the, the New Testament is that people have a big problem with who's being included in the kingdom. People don't like that, oh, they're here? How can they be here? How can this kingdom include them? It's not okay that Jesus wants to eat with sinners. It's not okay that he wants to be around tax collectors. It's not okay that Jesus lets a woman with a sinful past wash his feet. It's not okay that Peter was eating at the same table as the Gentiles. And let's just simply recognize we have to be on guard against having that same spirit. It looks a little bit different for us today. But it's very easy to fall into this way of thinking that we think, you know, this kingdom is for people like me who have my values that like to worship the way that I do, that have the same standard for Christians as I do. Look like me, think like me, have all of the same doctrines as me, are used to doing things the way that I'm doing them, and we just set our own parameters for the kingdom. And surprise, surprise, it's always according to my standard. (laughs) The standards of the kingdom just happen to be the ones that I want them to be. Everyone needs to look like me and act like me and live up to my expectations. But, of course, we have to realize that God has delighted to include in his kingdom people with many different looks in many different languages, many different ways of worship. God values and delights in that variety. The question is, do we? I think it might be helpful to remember that we are the original outsiders. We are Gentiles. We read that passage during our time of singing where Paul reminds us that, hey, remember at one time you were separated and you were alienated and you were without hope in the world. 
That's, that's us. Of all people, we should be the biggest champions of inclusion because we have benefited from it. Of course, the goal is not to just be okay with a diverse body of peoples. We don't want to just be okay with it. We want to pursue it as God pursues it. We want to love it as God loves it. Not just for our church thinking broadly, but just think about right now just your own relationships and your own circle. You can be a picture of the kingdom of God in the relationships that you yourself cultivate and give time to. God is accomplishing a great inclusion in this kingdom. There's one more song. It's the most familiar to you. It's the angel song. It's at 214. God's final purpose in this kingdom that we'll look at this morning. His final purpose is a great glory for himself. This is the angel song, Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In the kingdom of God, God is accomplishing, what does he want to do? A great reversal? A great deliverance, great inclusion, and bringing great glory to himself. The angel song is the shortest one, um, but it makes the main point. It makes the main point. It highlights the greatest aspect of the kingdom, namely that in this kingdom of God, God is bringing glory to his own name. That is the great overarching purpose for which God is working in this kingdom, to glorify his own name. And if we're going to live in this kingdom, we, we have to let this sink into our very bones. And it's proven so hard for us to do, so hard for me to do, that the purpose of being in this kingdom of God is to glorify his name and not mine. not ours. God's purpose is to glorify his own name. And it's very easy to live for a long time as a Christian and even someone in full-time ministry or with great involvement in your local church and think that the goal of all of this is the increasing fame of our own name, like that we become known as a church, or I become known as a pastor? Where did that come from? That we receive press and we receive glory? In other words, God can become a means to an end in his own church and among his own people. It's very easy to be building our own kingdom while we say that we're building his. What a, what a tragic thing to do. Just step back with me for a moment and look at this whole thing from 30,000 feet that we've been talking about this morning. Notice how this kingdom of God is a complete assault on self. It assaults our pride because there's this great reversal where the proud are brought low and the lower raised up. It assaults our self-sufficiency because we need to be delivered. 
We can't do it ourselves. We're in need of a deliverer from sin. This kingdom of God assaults our self-centered world where, because there's this great inclusion where, there's all the, where we're, we're a minority. There's all these people that aren't like us. They don't look like me, think like me, act like me. I'm not the center of the, the world and of standard Christian practice. What an assault on self to be part of this kingdom where everyone's included and, and I'm a minority. It's not all about me. Just see how we're brought so low by this kingdom. It assaults our pride and our self-sufficiency and our self-centered world. It's so good for us to have this kingdom just crash on us and weigh on us because left to our own devices, we just build our own little kingdoms where we're served and worshiped and we sit in judgment and we receive glory and accolades. And the kingdom of God just destroys all those things within us. And he receives the glory in this kingdom. Doesn't it sound wonderful to live in a kingdom like that? It's not all about me. It's about him. And to just to get to live in submission to a perfect and benevolent will. And be eager for all the glory to go to him. And at this point you might ask, well, what's in it for us? What's in it for me? If all the glory goes to him, what about, what about me? What do I get? The answer is in Luke 2.10. That's what you get. Luke 2.10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It will be for all the people. That's what I get. That's what you get. That's been God's pattern from the beginning of creation. Great glory for himself, great joy for his people. Would you indulge me for 60 more seconds? Flip back to the very last verse of the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24, the very end. I want you to see the fulfillment of God's plan among his people. Luke 24 52. The disciples post, post ascension and they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Great glory for God. And great joy for his people. That's the pattern. In the gospel of Luke and all through scripture. By the father's design. Great glory for his own name. And great joy for his people. And in Jesus name. I invite you to enter this kingdom. The reason he came was to extend it to people. I'm here to invite you. To enter into this kingdom. To stop building your own kingdom. To humble yourself before Jesus and receive him as king and savior. He came for you so that you might have life and so that you might have joy. Joy that transcends circumstances. And joy that even transcends death. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen.
We praise you, Father, for your good work in this kingdom. Um, Your plan is wise. Your plan is good. Let us be shaped by these values that we have learned about this morning. Let us take these things and live to display them to other people. The great reversal, the great deliverance, the great inclusion, and great glory for your own name. And may that abound to great joy for your people. Amen.